the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 543, for Monday, March 9th, 2015. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, a special edition for this Monday. Well, really not overly special not any more special than usual just a different day because of some scheduling conflicts and all of that we are the show that answers your questions solves your problems shares your tips shares your cool stuff found talks about the stuff that goes on in our apple world here and uh, the goal of course every time we get together is for every one of us myself included to learn at least today four new things about the Mac and other Apple products. This episode is sponsored in part by DigiDNA makers of iMazing, iMazing.com, the app that's going to let you get all the data on and off your iOS devices that you want. We'll talk more about that later. Coupon code MGG gets you 20% off from them. Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. Uh, You can get 10% off of what you buy at Squarespace. For all your hosting and and, uh, site design needs with the coupon code MGG. We'll talk more about that later on. And by Gazelle at gazelle.com, the place where you can go and sell off all your old Apple devices when it's time for shiny new ones. And we'll talk about some shiny new ones and more about Gazelle later in today's show, too. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Spring Lake. Fearful Connecticut. I, I even hit the beach uh, yesterday because it's so springy. Even yeah. There's still snow on the beach. There's snow everywhere. Uh, everybody loved it. The people loved it. The dogs loved it. Oh, it was, it was great. Uh, but yes, here in Fearful Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. How are you doing today, John F. Braun? Great. Like I said, man, I, I think the uh, the cold snap has broken here. Uh, like I said, I was at the at the beach and uh, people were bringing their dogs and their and and uh, now it was even though it was 45 degrees. I mean, dude, that's like spring to me. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot, compared, a lot to of what, fun. compared to what we've been through. Absolutely. Hey, I want to talk about our first sponsor, John. Amazing at uh, amazing dot com from the DigiDNA folks. They uh, they have been making this app for a long time. It's got a relatively new name. But iMazing is something that is super handy to have. I, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you an example of what I did. I, uh, when we went to Florida, uh, I took a bunch of movies and I put them on my iPad, right? In the, and I used the, the Synology uh, DS video app. And, and I, I loaded them onto my iPad so I could you know, watch whatever I wanted on the airplane. Well, one of these movies, we all decided we wanted to watch while we were down there. Uh, and... You know, my my father-in-law's got a, a nice big TV with an HDMI input, but I don't have the ability to go. He doesn't have an Apple TV, right? And I don't have the ability to go HDMI from my iPad. I don't have that cable with me, but I did have the cable that would let me do HDMI from my MacBook Pro. So, or sorry, from my MacBook Air. I don't have a MacBook Pro. Well, I don't use one. But anyway, I could do that from the air. And I thought, well... Certainly I could use his Wi-Fi and download the movie again from my disk station, but I've got it right here. And I thought, oh, perfect. I'll use iMazing. So I plugged in USB into my Mac and, uh, you know, the the lightning cable into the bottom of my iPad. And then I uh, brought up iMazing and I was able to navigate through my apps and I found DS video and I looked in documents and I found inside documents as a downloaded movies folder. And inside that was a folder for each movie that I had downloaded. And I went and I found the one I wanted and I simply copied it from there to the finder to write to my desktop 
using iMazing. It took uh, less time than it did for me to tell you here to get that that process started. Obviously, it took a little while. It was a couple of gigs. So, you know, it, it took, I don't know, four minutes once the copy started to, to blaze over USB to the uh, to the MacBook Air. But uh, but it worked brilliantly. And that's the kind of thing iMazing can do. You can go and extract data from all of your apps, right? You get to navigate the essentially navigate the file system on your iPhone or iPad. And and that's where this gets really amazing. It can do all kinds of other things. It can, you know, you can do two way music transfer and it's got a whole user interface for that. Uh, you can now browse through all your old backups as well. If you, you know, if you have data and that's where it can get really handy, right? You can pull just a specific apps data out of a backup and put it onto your live iPhone. And that way you, uh, you know, that app, you don't have to restore the whole thing from the backup. You don't have to restore every app. There's no, this is the, this is the way to restore, uh, and manage backups granularly from, uh, from you know for your ios devices so you got to check this out it's it's absolutely amazing i use it all the time for little things like i just described super super simple to use and uh and it really lets you do some things that are otherwise completely impossible so check it out go to imazing.com and uh and coupon code mgg gets you 20 percent off that's 20 percent off uh of imazing and and you're gonna love it so go ahead and check it out imazing.com and thanks to them for sponsoring the show. All right, John. So that was actually, that was actually a nice little tip. Uh, and I like it when, when the sponsor spots can turn into that, but you and I just finished watching, uh, the Apple event. We, we individually streamed it to our, our, I think our respective living rooms. I'm assuming you watched it in your living room as I did mine. Um, yes, I did. And you know, it worked almost perfectly this time. So I had one hiccup where all of a sudden it blew me out to the main menu. And I think it may have been due to a network disruption on my end. And okay. Uh, that makes sense. Problem sure. with them. The only thing that got me is so the thing started off and it went from English to Chinese. And yeah. I'm like, oh, not again. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, so, it was certainly intentional. It was intentional. So, uh, That's right. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, the, the broadcast was, uh, I think, flawless. And, uh, and wow, lots of, uh, I was surprised at the amount of stuff. A lot of people, I think, thought it was just the Apple Watch, but it certainly was not. Um, no, there were some interesting things. So, I mean, I want to talk about the watch, and we'll get there. Um, but uh, you know, the 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 HBO thing was cool. We knew that was coming, or you know, we'd heard rumor that that was coming. But uh, but that's a big deal that you can get HBO uh, direct on your Apple devices uh, starting in April without having to have an HBO subscription through your, your cable provider. That that's a huge shift and I, and, and really, really nice to see. So that's, um, that's that to me, that's kind of a big deal uh, because that, that moves us further and further into the world that we're actually in. And it's nice to see that, that, yeah, that yeah unbundling. Uh, so yeah. the stranglehold that the industry now has and that you, you're forced to purchase a bundle. I would say that this is, you know, uh, dipping their toe in the water into, you know, having it where you pick what you want to watch. Imagine, but, you yeah. know, for a single channel, 15 bucks a month. I, you know, well, that's, I mean, you pay at least that if you're getting it through your cable company. Yeah, sure. So, sure. you know, it's, it's, the pricing doesn't change. It just gives you flexibility and, and, and like you said, decouples it. So that's good. That's, that's really good. Um, the new MacBook is an interesting thing to me, John. So they, they announced a 12 inch, macbook that's super thin thinner than even the current 11 inch air which is already pretty thin with a retina screen 
uh, an all day battery. Uh, let's see, either 256 gigs or 512 gigs of uh, flash storage. And maybe that's customizable. Um, eight gigs of memory of Ram and a very new, well, uh, uh, yeah, a new port. It has one port on it. That's used right. for everything. That was my power. fish shake. When oh, I yeah. first saw it, my initial fish shake along with a lot of other people that were following along was like, Oh, this thing has no ports. Well, the thing is I saw one port right. and I'm like, okay, this is, this is going to be a deal killer for a lot of people. And it has no ports, but in actuality, Dave, it has not one, not two, not three, not, but that one port is actually five ports. And yeah. I thought, so it's wow. USB, it's USB C, which is a, a new standard. Um, the port is currently the port, at least according to Apple can be used for charging. Cause you gotta be able to charge the thing. Uh, USB 3.1. So, you know, up to five gigabits per second, uh, display port video out VGA out or HDMI out. Now there's something missing there. Missing. Yes. We both noticed that. Yeah. USB uh, to ethernet does not exist. However, I suppose you could go USB C to a USB three based ethernet port and then you're good to go. Oh, well, well to me, even more importantly, Thunderbolt, um, Thunderbolt is I know. Uh, missing, which is that going to be their direction now? Or is that just a choice for this machine? Are they abandoned? Is this a signal that they're kind of abandoning Thunderbolt? I, I can't believe that they would. What a stupid idea that would be. But then this is the, the MacBook. This is not the pro level machine. Correct. So maybe it's it makes sense that you use it for just display, which is, you know, a subset of Thunderbolt, right? Yeah, barely. Right. As yeah. we talked. Yeah. But um, yeah, but, but then when you look at it, I mean, USB three, you know, should be enough speed for most people, right? Yeah, it should. But, you know, what's weird is that they what's weird is that the MacBook Air still exists, right? I mean, they, they this is an addition to the product line. It it does not at least currently replace anything. So you've got this thing, which is the MacBook, which on the on the 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 the, the you know, the family chart here of Macs, this new one is actually all the way at the bottom. So it is below the MacBook Air. So you've got the MacBook, the MacBook Air the MacBook pro. And then of course the iMac and then the retina and the Mac pro and all that. Um, but you know, the MacBook air still has uh thunderbolt on it as it should. And that makes it, you know, far more flexible. I'm not, I'm not sure about this thing. I, I don't, I, I don't quite understand it yet. Yeah. And, and the, the, you know, the price, I, I mean, I see it. You know, long ago, Apple simplified their you know product line into multiple quadrants here. And yeah, I'm trying to, we'll have to do more analysis, but I'm trying to figure exactly what quadrant or section of yeah, this doesn't user, fit, this what doesn't fit users this Steve Jobs is this quadrants. meant for? Is the, it, right. I mean, the Pro machine has its niche. The regular MacBook does. The Air does, you know, being a relatively yep. low powered machine, but, you know, highly portable and usable. So, so yeah, we got, we got to think a bit more about, you know, how, how does this shake the apple cart? Ha ha ha. Oh, I like that. Yeah, That's that good. was awful. That but, was, uh, was but yeah, no, I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> but the placement of this in, in the, in the product line, uh, I still got to think about it more. Um, yeah. Cause it is slower than the, than, well, I don't, 
I don't know the, the the specs. It's a Core M processor, so it, it's not the i5 or the i7, which is what's in the um, the MacBook Airs, right? So oh, M, I would assume, means mobile. Mobile. Which means, uh, yeah, power efficient. Because so I think this thing, what, what do they say? Uh, in, in theory, what, 10 hours, I think, yeah, was it? But that's what you get out of I mean, you get that out of an 11-inch Air. Well, you get nine hours, excuse me, out of an 11-inch Air and 12 hours out of the 13 so I'm not, I'm, I'm still kind of confused on this. It's like, we're, I, frankly, I wish they had like killed the air for this. I mean, I, I don't because I, I still think if I had to choose today between the two, I'd still choose the air because it, it's the perfect balance of expandability and portability for, for me. And I think for, for a lot of people, but so I'm curious to hear, you know, your thoughts folks what what do you think about this is there somebody out there that says oh this is the machine i've been waiting for because i I don't see how that fits unless you replace the air and say this is the new air you know which is fine i mean that you know no problem there that uh, upon initial inspection when i know about them that that would seem uh, yeah it wouldn't surprise me if they retired the air and this would be the air replacement but they didn't that's the I, thing. I, you know, I understand you know, that. Not, not yet. Right. But. Right. That's true. Not yet. Yep. Yeah, maybe they're measuring the yeah, market saying, hey, true. we're going to throw this out. Let's see what people think of this versus the air. Maybe we at some point need to retire. And, and so, you know, so. Rev 2 of this new MacBook could have Thunderbolt in it. I mean, there's nothing they, they would they need to probably sacrifice some battery for that. Right. I mean, this whole this thing inside, they shrunk down the the logic board. So basically you've got like trackpad, which is a whole new paradigm on the trackpad, which is looks cool. Um, it's got some, some haptic feedback going on and uh, which is great. And, and then there's a logic board, which is like one third, the size of the old one from the 11 inch air. And then the rest inside the case is just batteries. So, so we'll see. I, I'm, I'm curious to see how it, uh, how it works out, but I, I, I don't quite understand it, but that's okay. I don't have to. Not yet. Not yet. Right. Yeah, not yet. Yeah, exactly. So that was neat. The MacBook um, Air got Thunderbolt 2, right? So that that got bumped up. So, I mean, it, it wasn't like they said nothing about the Air. The Air actually got some some bumps. So, I, you know, I don't know. That's cool. All right. What next? Is it time to talk about the watch yet, John? Or is there is there one more um, thing in the middle here? What else did they? Well, they did mention. Well, I I liked how they you know touched a bit more on. Um, so they did, but, but you know I don't think it deserves a lot of discussion. Sure. But so health kit and research kit. That was boring. Um, I almost fell asleep during the keynote during that spot. But I, I get uh, what they're doing is important, but it was poorly presented. It was slowly paced. Yeah, and for a lot of people, it's like so what. But but it's it's addressing Apple's addressing a space that I I think needs addressing. So so good. No, it's yeah, good. But yeah, totally. Yeah. Beyond that, and then you know they had a you know some superstar up there talking about um, you know the health aspects um of it. The uh, my only reflection. Oh, you talking about Christy Christy Turlington uh, yes. Burns, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. It was interesting. The only fish shake that I've, I've seen a lot of people offer to health kit in, in general is that it doesn't have anything that is gender specific. And some people found it kind of odd that they would have, you know, a, a woman up on stage. there talking about, you know, the virtues of the product and health and all that. And it, it as of yet, though, though I got to say in their defense, health kit doesn't have anything that's gender specific for either gender. That's I can understand why you'd want it. And at this point it's not there, but maybe it will be. And, and it should be, I think. Uh, yeah, I totally. Agree. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
All in due time, I suppose. So they had that. And then I guess, yeah, past that. Uh, so it was great that they threw in those extra nuggets. A lot of people were afraid they wouldn't talk about the watch at all, but they did talk about the watch. And you, Dave, being a watch geek, I'll let you kind of, I'd like to get your thoughts. I mean, I'll only start off with that the pricing of the entry-level model does not make it totally ridiculous for people like me who are not big watch fans. Sure. To consider it, I think 349 is going to be the entry-level, what I'll call the entry-level unit. And then yeah. you go... And then from that, you can go <laughs> way beyond that, depending That's on right. what you want. Depending, yeah, what you want. That's right. Yeah. So I, I did find something odd. They, they, they finally announced um, all the pricing. They talked about most of it in the keynote, but you can actually go online and see the exact pricing for any model. And they, and there, there are ranges, it, but uh, on the low end in the, the Apple watch sport, uh, the prices are three forty nine and three ninety nine, And this is where it gets weird because, it's part of when we talk about entry level for some people, entry level will be three ninety nine, right? Because the, the, the difference on the sport model is in the size of the watch case, the 38 millimeters, three forty nine, and the 42 millimeter is three ninety nine. So depending on the size of your wrist and at some level, your own personal preference, um, you know, you're, that's going to, that's going to be what makes your decision. So, um, but, but, you know, you're right, John, for you, maybe it is 349, right? I mean, I, I wear, uh, I wear a lot of watches and many of them are 38s and that 38 is more than fine. You know, it's, it's not too small for a man's wrist. I don't have very big wrists, but, uh, but I don't know which way I would go if I went with the sport watch. Uh, I'd have to try them on again. But, and, but let me ask you uh, this, yeah. Dave. Okay. Yeah. I mean, is it for me? I mean, because so to get the full benefit of this product, you, you need an iPhone. I don't think there's any question about that, right? No question whatsoever. That is absolutely true. Okay. Now I still have the, uh, you know, uh, caveman <laughs> era <laughs> iPhone five S. Um, what does this mean for me? No, nothing. You can, I think oh. anybody with a five or better can, can use the watch and that's that certainly the five S are better, but, and, and hopefully somebody in the chat room, I'll say hi to everybody at MacGeekGab.com slash stream, but I'm hoping that somebody in the chat room will, will uh, confirm that for us while we're, while we're showing, while we're recording here, but yeah, certainly the five S and I believe the five and better is what they announced back in the fall that that will work with the watch. Oh, okay. No, no, I think features. So for example, you have an iPhone six, correct? Uh, six plus class. is what I use these days. Yeah. All right. So that on its own gives you Apple Pay. In my case, uh, I would need, if I wanted to do Apple Pay, I would have to get an Apple Watch to extend my iPhone and then the watch would do Apple Pay for me. That's right. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, and that would work fine. So yeah, you're not missing out on functionality. In fact, like you, like you just said with Apple Pay, you're actually gaining some functionality that, huh. you know what I mean? So it, it's a way to add Apple Pay to what you have. But so, so I, I, I'm curious if, if uh, it sounds like you're on the fence about this, John. You know, seeing, uh, seeing some of the things that it does, it's uh, it, it piqued my interest. Well, that's good. Um, now you do currently wear a wristwatch, correct? Um, I have a Timex okay. uh, that I received as a gift here. It's it's probably about the most basic watch, which honestly, I got to tell you, is really hard to find these days, Dave. I mean, it does time yeah. in analog. You know, it has hour, minute, and second hands. Yeah. Uh, 
I think it's water resist. Uh, it tells me the day and the date. Okay. And I have to manually fiddle with that on the month boundaries, depending on the month. Yeah, as I do, as do I. With but for me, yeah. um, and I, I think it's rather fashionable. Um, but for me, you know, and, and I think, you know, I got it as a gift and I think, you know, it's like a $50 watch. So, sure. Uh, and Timex is, you know, a fine maker of, of timepieces. I'm sure it's a and, quartz uh, watch, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite accurate. You yep. know, I'm happy with the accuracy. So I'm, you know, kind of okay with it though. Sure. Looking at, you know, the, the multiple demos that they did of all the additional things you could do there, which we, we've seen it before. I think they added a few, you know, extra ones there, um, uh, showcasing some of the apps, you know, like Uber and, 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 and a few other things. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the garage thing I think was kind of a, kind of funny because it was funny so uh you know they were showing how you could communicate so somebody uh so see so yeah, one of the one of the people demoing it i guess he uh you know i think it was an actual demo wasn't it but it was like his daughter texted him saying i can't get in the garage and he's like oh well you know i'll send a message back to my daughter and then i'll remotely open the garage and it's funny because in my tweet stream <laughs> i saw two people comment on that and then immediately after that our local news station posted an alert saying uh, yeah, by the way, we got a problem in Fairfield you should be aware of. The police alert, uh, are, are uh, suggesting that you lock your garage doors because people are using that as a, as a vector to break into people's houses. Wow. <laughs> and they came back to back. It was perfect. That's funny. Like, if you look at my stream, I, I, I sent a snapshot of it. I, oh, I thought nice. it was just so funny. So, uh, yeah, and I, I don't think any of us have seen that you know particular demo before. So, so you know, pulling, showing us additional functionality and uh ways that it could be useful yeah they did uh, they did quite a bit with demoing uh third-party apps for the watch which is cool uh and you know a a good thing although again no great surprises and honestly some of that felt kind of clunky i mean it's it it was cool to see that the watch could do all this stuff but there was there's so much of that that can already be done on the phone and in a much easier way i mean if you're going to try and open your garage you're probably going to pull out your phone and do that. You know what I mean? It, it, there's, you, you, it's, I don't know. Maybe you do it on your watch, but it, you know, it, I see the watch as being very valuable uh, for quick things, right? You know, you don't want to have to pull out your phone to check a quick test text message or even reply to a text message. Right. But if you're going to dig in and, and like order a, a, a an Uber car, I mean, maybe an Uber, Uber car makes sense on the watch. But I think, you know, about 15 seconds is probably the, the, the limit where the watch makes sense versus, OK, wait, I still have I have my phone in my pocket. I can take my phone out and be much more efficient because I've got a much larger interface and all of that. But but I think there's a lot of those 15 second things. I'm not I'm just not convinced that opening your garage door at home and, and navigating through that whole system is one of them. But um, but but otherwise, you know, I think I think there's a lot of cool stuff that the that the watch will do um, pricing, it, you know, and I'm sure I said it on this show even casually. I know I said it when I was on uh, Leo's Twitch show about a, two months ago. And, uh, you know, people freaked out in the last week when uh, when John Gruber started posting his thing about how the Apple Watch edition is going to cost, you know, uh, over 10 grand and all this stuff. And I was like, well, of course, it's going to cost over 10 grand. I mean, it's the a addition sol- being the a, product, it's the a gold solid product gold watch. Yeah, right. That's being positioned. Um, yeah. As a, uh, I, I would say a vanity product. Of course it's a, right. It's a solid gold watch. Right. So, you know, you can't, 
here's the thing. And maybe this is, in fact, I'm not maybe I'm sure is this it is solid gold. It is solid 18 karat oh. gold. Yes. All right, all right. And that, and they announced that back in, in the fall. And that's when I said, actually, and I know I said it here. Um, it, you know, if that costs less than 10 grand, because everybody at the time was saying it might cost like over a thousand dollars. Of course, it's going to cost over a thousand dollars. And I said, if it costs less than 10 grand, I will buy every one of them that I can because you'll be able to resell it for more immediately. A solid gold watch is you can't get even at the prices that they are. And they have announced all of them. They run from 10 grand to 17 depending on what kind of what size you want. And this is kind of a weird thing as it gets into the higher prices, the 38 millimeter actually costs more. And I'm still trying to figure that out, but by not by a, uh, well, by a couple grand. Um, so they run from 10 to 17,000. And, uh, and that's, that's actually very, very fair for a solid gold watch. It, it's just how that works. Um, most, I, I mean, if you, if you want to go buy a solid gold Rolex, I think you're going to be easily into the 20 grand range, probably more like 40. So this is not, this is not at all out of whack. So, um, for the market that they're addressing. Correct. Like we spoke, I mean, I could get a car, Dave, I could get a perfectly usable vehicle um, in this country. I would say probably for around $20,000. Let's say 25, but you're probably right at 20. That's right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I've seen like some of the Hyundai, you know, yeah, some of the, the, right. But I could get a perfectly usable, functional, not uh, entirely uncomfortable, Correct. usable vehicle for $20,000. Uh, I could also purchase a handcrafted, lovingly handcrafted vehicle, probably for a million dollars. So yes. we're talking orders of magnitude. Yes. And the thing is, is that car going to drive any better? Well, maybe a little better, but sure. is, is it? Is it worth the extra money for functionality's sake? No. No. Is it worth it for, hey, look, I have the money and I can buy this? Uh, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> that depends on the buyer, right? I mean, that, that's, that, that's a, right. That's not a factor that's the same for everyone. And the Apple Watch Edition is exactly that. And it was positioned as that. Um, so, so, yeah, the pricing of this doesn't freak me out at all. It was more, it was fun to watch everybody freak out over the last yeah. week over it. And I was like, yeah, but. Come on. This no, is what for somebody cost. for somebody for somebody who wants to enter the market. I think three forty nine is uh, I was thinking about it, too. I'm like, you know, where are, gonna, where are they going to price this? And I think for for most consumers. That's. You know, Apple knows what they're doing with market. They know that that's that there's a breaking point where people are not even going to consider a product. And I think most people would say eh, it's a bit more than I may want to pay normally, but it's Apple. Yeah. So. I, th- I think the watch that most people are going to want is going to fall into about the $700 range, right? Because that's where the standard Apple watch falls when you get it with the band that you want. Yes, you can get it for $549, I believe, but that's the, the, it's the, that's with the sport band on the, the higher end watch. So you, yes, you do get more out of this. You get a sapphire crystal on it. Uh, which is so sat, there's a reason and it's probably not cost, but it, it might be um, why they did Sapphire Crystal not. They did not do Sapphire Crystal on the sport edition. And that's because Sapphire Crystal is excellent for uh, being scratch proof. It's but mineral crystal, which is what they're using on the, the sport watch, is much better for impact and shatter resistance. So this is why you'll never see sapphire glass on an iPhone in order for uh, sapphire glass to work on an iPhone. The the glass itself would probably need to be a centimeter thick. 
Um, because again, Sapphire will is brittle, right? You know, it, it will break. It just doesn't scratch. So, um, so you, you do get the, the, you know, the scratch resistance, uh, when you, when you get into the standard Apple watch and you're at 549 there, uh, to start. And then it goes up if you want a metal bracelet and then this, that, and the other, you, you know, you're probably going to be in that, you know, 600 to $750 range. And, and that's not the, where this gets weird is for watches. These are not weird prices, right? These are not bad prices. This is kind of where all this stuff lives. But the difference is, and this is coming from me as a watch guy, John, when I buy, it doesn't matter if when I buy a Timex or when I buy a Rolex, that watch I'm confident will function for me for decades. Now, if it's a, a Rolex or really any kind of mechanical watch, you say you got to send it in every two to six years to get it uh, serviced and all of that. And those watch servicings can cost a fortune um, on higher end watches. You, you know, you're looking at somewhere between five and fifteen hundred bucks, um, which is crazy. But that's how that works. Uh, but, you know, that watch is going to work. And it, there's nothing about it that will be obsolete, right? With the Apple Watch, though, I can't imagine that in three to five years, this current Apple Watch is still going to be at all usable by people. So that's where it does get weird to spend 700 and certainly 17000 on a watch that you know has planned obsolescence built in. That's where it gets weird for me. Know what I mean? Oh yeah, because you know, I mean, <laughs> when I got a watch, I mean, dude, I've had watches that have lasted me uh, decades. Yeah, I mean, I I have a watch that was handed down to me from in fact the watch I was wearing today. It's it's not a very pricey watch, but it's you couldn't find it anymore. It's just it was kind of a it's a citizen. I think it probably cost about two hundred bucks when it was purchased, maybe a little more. Um, but, uh, you know, it was handed down from through my wife's family. So, you know, that that can happen with watches and it does happen with watches as it does with with jewelry of all types. I'm not convinced that's going to happen with with your Apple watch because it's just not going to, you know, what, there's going to be new features. They're going to change the UI. Um, they're going to change the design of it. This is not going to be the way the watch is forever. Right. So these people talking about, well, they'll just upgrade the innards. Yeah, you sure? I don't think so. Apple doesn't upgrade the innards of my iPhone. Yes, this is a different product, but eh, still, you know, I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch. I don't know if I, and I don't say, I'd say that, but no pun intended. Um, I don't know. I guess, ah. I, I guess I'll get one. Um, I, I am, you know, the thing about the Apple watch and any, anything that replaces a watch that also then adds fitness functionality is it means that in order to get the full benefits of using an Apple watch or and of owning an Apple watch, you have to be wearing it. It has to be your daily driver, right? It's the one that you use all the time. And I really enjoy wearing different watches all the time. I have, you know, probably six or eight watches in my collection that I kind of bounce between and, and I like them for different reasons and it's fun and it's kind of a thing. And I've been a watch guy since my grandfather got me started on them when I was five years old. And so it's a, you know, it's part of it's part of what I like to do each day. I, I would arguably say it's part of who I am. I mean, it's not actually part of who I am, but it's it's part of what I like. And this would, you know, lock me down. So I'm not I'm not sure I'll get one. I'm sure I'll get one because it's what we do here. But uh, I'm not convinced it's going to be, you know, I bought a pebble 
And my son took it over. Uh, and even he doesn't use it anymore. He, he's got a this swatch, the system 51 thing that he really likes. So I don't know. Be, it'll be interesting. Don't you think? Yes. Yes. I want to talk about our second sponsor, John, before we get into questions. And that second sponsor is Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. That's where you go to start Squarespace. These folks are awesome. Uh, They will. Now I'm getting phone calls in here. This is crazy. Uh, That's one thing I don't like about Squarespace. the, the, the phone syncing thing is when I get a phone call on my iPhone, it rings every device that I have, uh, including this. But anyway, back to back to Squarespace. So Squarespace.com slash MGG. These folks are what they do uh, is allow you to build and host your website right there inside your web browser. That's where you start. That's where you finish. You don't go anywhere else. You just start at Squarespace.com slash MGG. You don't even have to give them your name at first. You just start by picking a template. What do you want to do? Do you want to host your blog? Do you want to uh, put up a little storefront? Do you want to announce an event? Whatever it is you want to do, you start narrowing down and picking templates. And there's dozens of templates in each category. And you can kind of mix and match stuff. And so you, you, you settle on a template. And then you start building your site. You start putting content in. You can, all these templates are going to have their own artwork and images in them, and you can certainly use what they have, or you can add uh, your own images and it's cool. You just drag them from your desktop, you know, so whatever you've got, if you've got some custom images, you know, for whatever it is you're doing on your website, you just drag them in, replace the ones that are in there or add new ones in into, you know, things like blog posts and all that. And it just drops right in. Totally simple. You don't need any extra apps or anything. And if you don't have an image that you want, they've got a partnership with Getty. So you can, you know, just get your own images there. They've got 24-7 support via a live chat and email. And uh, things start at only eight bucks a month. And if you buy Squarespace for a year, you get a free domain with it, too. And you know you're going to want to buy it for a year. There's no reason to, to just buy month to month. Um, we've got a coupon code of MGG that once you do decide to buy, you get a 14-day free trial. But at the end of that trial, once you decide to buy, uh, use coupon code MGG. That gets you 10% off. And uh, and it, it only 8 bucks a month. It's 10% off of that. And then the free domain, you sign up for a year. You get 10% off the whole year. It's the smart way to do it. They've got... Uh, a free online store, free e-commerce engine with every website. And uh, like I said, you can start your trial. You don't need to even give them a credit card when you start it. You can build. It's really simple, really powerful. And you can build really beautiful websites with this. And uh, it's what I did for my, uh, you know, I moved my, my Dave, the blog away from, which is just my personal blog where I rant about stuff. But uh, you know, I had it, I was running WordPress and, that's fine. And I even have a server, right? Cause you know, we got Mac observer over there running on a server. And so I just put it on the same one, but it was just a, a bear to constantly keep up with. And when I wanted to change themes, it was always weird. And I had to keep all the plugins updated and yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't worth it. I moved it to Squarespace and uh, I used our coupon code to save me some money. Cause Hey, you know, 10% is 10%. And, uh, and off we go. It's awesome. You got to check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG is where you start. That lets them know that uh, that you came came there from us, which we appreciate, and they like to know too. And then again, once you are spending money there, uh, MGG is the coupon code that saves you 10%, and we appreciate them passing that along. So check it out, squarespace.com slash MGG. And John, 
That's uh, that's going to bring us into Bob's question, I believe. I do. I believe. like Bob's question. I like Bob's question too. Yeah, yeah go. I like the answer too. Yeah. <laughs> so Bob wrote in, and Bob has, um, and it was the subject of his uh, letter here, but uh, or email. But Bob has a MacBook Pro Retina, fifteen inch, late twenty thirteen, and uh, and he said to us. I'm only getting about two hours of battery life once fully charged. Apple advertises eight hours of service, so this seems like a problem. At your suggestion, I've been using fruit juice since I purchased the machine and follow their alerts uh, and so on. I've attached a screenshot of the fruit juice battery info pane. I run basic office programs such as Mail, Safari, Evernote, and Pages, and not doing any heavy web surfing games or movies. Suggestions? And Do I you have, have a suggestion. suggestion Good. <laughs> well, first off, so so the screenshot from a uh, 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 fruit juice was saying, "Hey, yep, you got ninety three percent of your original capacity." It's like, okay, well that that's a good data point. All right, so um, that probably suggests there's not anything wrong with the battery, but who knows? So um, so my my thought was as follows, Dave. You know, it could be could be a bad cell in the battery. Um, a lot of batteries are not a single battery, but they are made of multiple cells that are connected together, I guess, in series. Um, and it is possible that one of them is bad. And the circuitry that measures all of this stuff may be reading things wrong until you get to the point where you're trying to draw power from the bad cell, in which case then things fall apart. So I'm like, eh, you know, that could be the problem. So, you know, to check that, uh, one thing you could do is run system information, go to the hardware section, and then the power section, and under charge information, you should see a number of full charge capacity. I was curious what that is. And then here's the other thing, which I think was the uh, uh, breakthrough. And then, you know what? By the way, you may also want to go into activity monitor and look under the energy setting. <laughs> My wording was as follow. Make sure there is something crazy under the energy impact or average energy impact columns. So in Mavericks, uh, for those that don't know, but now you do. And I'm Yosemite. Sorry, Mavericks. Yep. Yosemite. Ma- yeah, Mavericks well, and Mavericks Yosemite. Is, yeah, both of them. Yep. Right. So they started introducing this ability in the operating system or specifically in activity monitor where you could see on a per application basis, how much energy. Now, the thing is the units they measure it in is still kind of people aren't quite sure what they are, but it, it's a relative measure and it's, it's better than nothing, but it'll show you uh, and you could sort by them. It'll show you what applications are taking the most energy uh, translation battery <laughs> or power. In this case, for a battery operating machine, that's battery. And I said, you know, um, you know, let, let us know what happens under there. So he sent us the numbers for the for the charge capacity. That was normal. And then, and here's where it, it all came home here, activity monitor. So he sent a screenshot of activity monitor. And we have energy impact and average em- energy impact. And Dave, the winner with a score of 78.82 <laughs> was Carbonite Damon. <laughs> And and just to, like you said, it's a relative measurement. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, so, what? Every, uh, everything else. For those in this that don't list, know, yeah, everything else it, in this it, list was less than one, right? Right. Yeah. So, so and I have never ever 
Uh, I mean, even on my uh, both my machines, the the largest number that I've seen in that column, Dave, is under ten. Right. All right. So obviously, carbonite is out of control. I don't know what's wrong with it. Um, I, I think I'll shake my fist at them. So something is wrong with their application. Now, didn't carbonite have a? Uh, does carbonite have a Java tie-in, no, or did they get rid crash of that? Plan. Crash plan. Oh, that was crash plan. Okay, and still does, right. and works fine. Right. By the way, you know, no, right. no huge energy impact or anything. Yeah. All right. So carbonite is a product that will, uh, I think, do backups for you. Correct. Right? Uh, Network-based backups. Yeah. Um, uh, so clearly, to me, seeing that, and and the nice thing is that uh, activity monitor and this measure will persist. Uh, beyond when the application is not actively running because here it showed a grayed out, but it still showed this number 78, which is huge in the grand scheme of things. And I'm like, uh, yeah, you know what? <laughs> Quick carbonate. And uh, uh, let me know what happens. And that was it. That's it. Uh, there's something, there's something wrong with carbonate. Yeah. Uh, uh, so this is just a general, if you notice uh, now some further suggestions here that may have, helped him catch this uh, earlier. Uh, I'm almost certain that if he was running iStat menus and had the processor meter running, he would have seen the processor meter pegged by something. And then you could dig in or, or you could even in activity monitor, look at the processor, you know, the process utilization or CPU utilization. Though that's not something people normally do. Right. So iStat menus is a great way to do that. And I'm almost certain he would have seen that. Uh, if you ran iStat menus and had the processor meter at the top, there is that it would have been pegged because the, you know it's a huge number. So, yeah. um, and I would suspect you probably would have heard the fans spinning up. Does this machine have? Yeah, this the, the the Retina has fans, right? Yeah, the only uh, uh, laptop that doesn't is the um, is the one with uh, the the one they just announced, the MacBook, no fan. Really? Yeah. Oh, so all convection. Yep. Wow, that's very retro because that was the uh, right. spirit within, I believe, some of the first Macs were developed. Steve was like, no fans. That's right. No fans because they're distracting. That's okay, right. so um, so yeah, he may be able, uh, again, he may be able to catch us if he had something measuring processor because he, he would have seen it. It was max, yeah. maxed out. Yeah. So, wow, so that was a good one. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if you need to update the app or just consider another solution other than Carbonite for your particular machine. My guess is that it, and I don't use Carbonite, so I can't speak to this specifically, but my guess is that if Carbonite was chewing up battery on everybody's computers like this, they would have heard about it and fixed it, right? So the my guess is that there's something awry about his particular Carbonite installation, and it could be... You know, I'm sure Carbonite has some sort of local database that it keeps track of it, all the stuff that it's backed up with. And maybe that's gotten corrupted and and now accessing it is inefficient and requires constant re-indexing of the drive or, you know, something along those lines is is what's triggering all this high usage. It might be that you just need to blow away your Carbonite installation and start from scratch. And and that may do it just fine. Um, who knows? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Or it could be that he just installed Carbonite. And it's going through its very first initial backup, which is going to use a lot of network bandwidth and, and potentially a lot of uh, disk access and, and such doing, um, you know, and that's the thing is it, it it's uh, it could be more than I think does it does average energy impact. Does it actually track disk usage as well? I think it does. So it may not just be CPU, but I'm, I'm not certain about that. Um, but that, you know, again, it, there could be lots of things going on. I 
I'm, I, I don't think this is a, you know, um, a fundamental problem with carbonite that everybody's going to uh, suffer from. But uh, th- what you, I mean, what you described is a great way of finding it. And, and it really is a handy thing and it's nice to have this tool. Absolutely. It's good. We love talking about troubleshooting. It's uh, it's interesting that 10 years ago, that's what we started doing. And here we are still now doing it and, and, and we need it. Um, it'll be interesting. When we people, start, despite yeah. our best efforts, people still have troubles. That's right. That's what we do here. Uh, Andy wrote in and said, my 2011 MacBook pro has been having some problems of late and now it just won't start up and I've run out of ideas. It's got a one terabyte crucial SSD, 16 gigs of Ram, but very quickly over a day or so started to slow down and mail kept crashing. Uh, there's more than 50% capacity free on the SSD. So I ran a disk verify and repair initially, and it seemed to repair a few permissions problems and all was okay for about 24 hours. Today it's running slow again, and I decided to restart it. It didn't restart. I have reset the PRAM and NVRAM. Uh, I've tried starting up uh, with Command R held down. I've tried starting up with Command D. Uh, I've tried starting up with the Shift key down for safe mode. Everything gets to about 40% startup, and then nothing. I think that's where my ideas end. I do have a time machine backup and I'm completely to wipe it and start with a fresh install. But as I can't get any of the above to start, I just want to get some ideas from you guys before I move forward. So the one thing you didn't try, Andy, is you didn't try doing command V on startup. And this is uh, command V is verbose mode. So when your system, when any Unix system starts up, what you see on the screen or what is displayed on the console is a bunch of, of lines of text. And it tells you I'm starting this service. I'm starting that service. I'm mounting this drive. I'm doing a Ram check. I mean, there's all kinds of things that, that happen. Uh, Apple's gray screen with the Apple logo. And now in Yosemite with the progress bar uh, hides you shields that display from you, but you can see it if you want and command V will show that to you. And it can be very handy. It's not the most decipherable thing, but it's fairly decipherable. Uh, and what you would look for is whatever the last line was. I mean, some of this stuff is going to scroll by so fast. You're not going to be able to read it. Um, it's just going to scroll off the screen because this stuff's happening in rapid succession. But if it's freezing at some point, well, then you're going to be stuck with one line at the bottom and, and, you know, look at that one. Maybe look at the couple or, or three above it. Just see what it is that is, is trying to load and isn't, it could be, you know, a graphics driver. This may have nothing to do with your SSD or your installation. It might have everything to do with either your SSD or your system installation. One way to test would be to find an external drive and see if it'll start from that. Right. You know, uh, if you've built a USB key installer for OS 10, try and start from that. Right. That that's going to, um, the fact that it wouldn't start with command R, uh, which is recovery mode. That's a, that is a different installation of OS 10. Now it is the same SSD, but, um, but trying from a different SSD or a, or a different drive, it doesn't have to be an SSD try from a different drive that might do it for you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried that you might have some more sinister hardware problem going on with this machine. Uh, but it, it's hard to tell. We got to, you know, there needs to be more troubleshooting, but that, uh, that command V, you know, when I was going through all this and trying to decide whether to include this one in the show or not, 
came down to command V and that is a really handy troubleshooting tip. So everybody remember that uh, it really lets you see what's going on just with every step of the startup. It's kind of fun to watch even when your system's working. In fact, watch it once when your system is working because getting a feel for how it works normally will help you when you're going to troubleshoot next time. So just restart. As soon as you hear the chime, hold down command V and, uh, and you'll see when to release it. Cause it's just going to be, you know, a ton of uh, text and it's fun. I, well, it's fun for me. We're geeks. That's what we do. It is fun. No, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm concerned because it sounds like there's some deep rooted problems here because uh, of course, command R should get you into recovery. Right. Um, I'm going to take a, 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 I'm going to offer an additional troubleshooting tip here is that. So one thing that happens when you start your machine up is that you're loading a bunch of what are known as kernel extensions, right? Uh, yes, that's right. Okay. It, well, except for when you're in, what happens in safe mode, uh, it loads a subset. It loads some. That's true. That's true. Right. So kernel extensions are little baby pieces of software that basically link the uh, the hardware and the software. And they can do all sorts of wonderful things. And, and linking your software and your hardware is a good thing. But the problem is if kernel extensions are messed up, something like this could happen. One thing that I would suggest, Dave, is to perhaps... Now, normally, when you when you when you add or remove a kernel extension, what happens? So, one thing that the operating that Mac OS X does is that it creates a kernel extension cache. Then it takes all of them and it throws them into one big file. Uh, so the next time you restart, it loads them in a in a very efficient manner because otherwise they're all these little itty bitty files and it will take forever to load them. So it, it puts them in one big glob. Uh, last I checked, and and. If that cache of the kernel extensions is somehow damaged, I could see how something like this could happen. But that's one of the things safe mode wipes out, right? Should. Yes, I I, I agree. Yeah, should. I agree. What I'm suggesting, though, you may want to try as a troubleshooting step when you run into something like this would be to run our friend Onyx because Onyx does have and I'm trying to find the specific option here. I think it's under maintenance, maintenance script. Yes. All right. So Onyx, so Onyx is a fine utility that does all sorts of low level cleanups and, and maintenance and stuff like that. Um, and one thing it will do is let you rebuild that. I believe, let me see. I think it's in maintenance rebuilding. Um, or maybe somewhere else here. Could it be under cleaning? So under maintenance, that there's the you can rebuild launch services and DYLDs shared cache. I think maybe it's, that's yeah. It's uh, no, I'm trying to think. It's neither of those. Uh, the kernel extension, the the um, it's the kext cache, is what it's called. I'm sorry, no, it's under cleaning okay. system. Okay, and there is a uh, checkbox kernel and extensions. That's there's it. also some others. Under there, so there's a boot cache. There's some others, but the first two items, I think, the boot cache and the kernel and extensions cache. All right, so I'm I'm on the right path again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I lost my way, but now I'm back on the right path. So you may want to get Onyx, go under cleaning, go under system, and the boot and kernel and extensions caches. Um, delete those caches and see if that improves improves matters. It certainly can't hurt, and it may help. Um. 
yeah, short of that, I mean, you know, nuke and pave, though it makes me uncomfortable having to do that. But at, at well, point, I mean, you're not going to run Onyx without starting the system up somehow, right? Because right, right. it can't start right. from the current drive. So at least in his case, and I realize, you know, we, we take these things and make them a little more general. So so your advice about Onyx is 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 spot on for this particular one. He's going to there's going to be more there's going to there's more testing is forced before Onyx could even run on this system. Um, so yeah, yeah. You got to find a way to start it up or uh, either way, you got to find a way to start it up. Uh, even if you're going to nuke and pave, you've got to, uh, you've got to get a, a running installer on there. And I think, I think in the process of doing that, you may find that there's more trouble, uh, that's unrelated to the SSD. I hope, I hope it's the SSD. I mean, the fact that you can't go recovery mode, nor can you boot, um, the uh the main system i i don't think it's the ssd but it could be it could be we'll see could be no now one last thought yep from what i recall you can actually install recovery on an external drive really uh i i, I remember at one point there were actually apple had some utilities that would say hey you know what you can actually put recovery on a on a drive that's not in your computer but external to your system and try to start up from that. I'll have to dig through the Apple support articles, but, okay. I, but I remember having to do that at least once. So uh, perhaps another solution would be trying to start up another system from that recovery, drive, uh, uh, an external drive in recovery mode, sure. and then maybe doing a OS reinstall yep. from that yep. and see if that does it for you. Cause I, I've had to do that at least once when my system got corrupted, I couldn't even do recovery from the drive in the system because it was so messed up. Sure. I had to do it from an external drive. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, yeah. We'll find out. I look forward to hearing more. Sad. It's not interesting. It's well. sad. Oh, you're right. I'm with you. <laughs> Gazelle.com is our third sponsor for this show. Gazelle uh, is the place where you go and in less time than it will take for me to tell you about Gazelle here, you will have a price for whatever device it is you want to sell off. They'll they'll take your your laptops, they'll take your iPads, they'll take your iPhones, uh, some other stuff as well. You got to check this out, and uh, and you just go to Gazelle.com and you start telling them what you have it right away. You just start diving right in, and uh, and and then you know you uh, you tell them what you got. Uh, you know you have an iPhone. Uh, let's see, what is it? It's an iPhone five, uh, and which will run the Apple watch by the way, the iPhone five will, but, uh, but maybe you want the, you know, something newer. So you're selling off your iPhone five and, uh, and then you, you dig in and tell it, yep. Okay. It was a, uh, you know, 64 gig iPhone five and it was AT and T, but it's, it's now, uh, you know, it's, it's no longer, uh, locked, you know, it's an unlocked iPhone five. You go through all the things. Was it engraved? What condition is it in? Is it scratched up? Is it messed up? Is it great? Is it pristine? Is it like new in the box? You answer all those questions and then boom, they give you a price. At that point, you decide, hey, I want that money instead of this phone. And at that point, you give them your name and your address. Why your address? Because they need to ship you a box. They ship you a box at their expense. You put your phone in the box. You close up the box with the tape that you found inside the box. But first you take the label that was inside the box and you put it outside the box so that it can get sent back to Gazelle again at their expense. You ship it back to them. They open it up, make sure that everything's inside. It matches what you told them initially. If it doesn't, they come back to you and say, hey, 
the condition of this is different. Sometimes we've actually had you listeners tell us that Gazelle, you've told Gazelle it's, you know, in good condition. And they come back and they say, no, 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 this one's actually in best condition. You want the extra money or do you want your phone back? Or if it's in poorer condition, they tell you that too. Do you want slightly less money or do you want your phone back? Uh, and it, you answer the question and then they give you your money or they send you your phone back, whichever you like, all at their expense. Uh, they'll give you the money via PayPal. They'll give it to you via check. Uh, they'll even give you an Amazon gift certificate for 5% more than what they're willing to give you in cash. And that way you can go spend it at Amazon. And they like that too. So, uh, so you got to check this out. This is the way to, uh, to get rid of this stuff. If you've got it laying around, it's crazy the way we all are. And, uh, and we can turn our devices into cash pretty easily. And these companies do it responsibly. They even gazelle even has a pre-owned section where you can go and buy some of the better quality stuff that they get back in. Obviously some stuff that they get back in, it's in poor condition. You wouldn't necessarily want to buy that. They sell that out, you know, aftermarket in bulk. Uh, but they do have a small selection. Well, not, I, don't want, I don't want to say small, a hand selected group of products that, uh, that you can buy straight from them. And, uh, and that way you can get stuff, you know, you can get an unlocked phone right from them and it's all good to go. So you got to check it out. Gazelle.com on the way while you check out, they will ask you where you heard about it. Please do tell them Mac geek gab it's we're in the list. It's really simple. You just choose this from a drop down. It's good to go. So Mac geek is where you found it, but gazelle.com is where you're going to go and get your money for your devices. So this one's a great one. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything and you actually get to put money in your pocket. So check it out. Gazelle.com. All right, John, let's, uh, let's go to Vince. This is so Vince has Vince says, do either of you have experience with the file transporter from connected data? And we do. Uh, they mm -hmm. are actually a, a long-term sponsor of the show. We talked about the, we talked about the transporter when it first came out and we still have them. Uh, Vince says, I was wondering how you would encrypt files within the transporter. I was going to create a sparse bundle image, but uh, having to mount it just to add a field or a file might mean I have to sync the entire size of the image every time I add the contents, uh, add to the contents of the image. And I believe I'm also restricted to the original size I created uh, with the image at the beginning. So in time, I'd end up with more images I want to manage. Any ideas? So, yeah, I, your, your concept of using the sparse bundle is absolutely right. Uh, the Apple designed the sparse bundle very intelligently. You do set a maximum size when you create it, but the image itself only grows to the size of its contents. So if you set the maximum size to say be, you know, 400 gigabytes, but you only put a 10 megabyte file in, you're only going to have about 10 megs. You have a little more than that because there's some overhead and all that. But, uh, but the sparse bundle is intended to grow up to a maximum size and, uh, and it won't take up that size when it sinks. It's actually stored in bands on the disc. And I think each one of those bands is about eight megs. So when, if, when you make changes to it, you really are only syncing your changes back and forth across things like Dropbox or, or you know, in this case, Transporter. Um, so, yeah, this is absolutely the right way to do it. And it's a really smart use of taking this this device, this Transporter device, and adding encryption to the data that's stored on there. So that I, I think I think you're doing it absolutely right. And just set set a maximum size for your sparse bundle that is smaller than the space you want to use on your transporter. I think that's where I would start with that and then go from there. What do you think, John? What I think is I remember actually asking the transporter people about this oh. a while ago. I'm like, what, 
I think I posed the question, what if someone managed to run off with your transporter and the drive or just the drive? Uh, how easy would it be? Would it be for someone to just pull the data off of that? The answer is uh, if someone is on a Mac, it's not like someone who is running. A, uh, the answer is you can't just take the drive out of the transporter, put it in an enclosure, and mount it on a Mac and see all the data because they're doing something a little different. So they're using a file system. I think it's either ext3 or ext4. And I think it's some sort of embedded Linux on, on the uh, transporter. So someone cannot just take the drive out of there and immediately mount and read the data off of it on a Mac because it's a different file system. Okay. Uh, all that means um, in a nutshell is, again, what I said, you can't just take that drive out, put it in an enclosure and mount it on a Mac and pull the data off. Although it's not encrypted. Okay. It's just, again, in a format that is not readily accessible to most people. So that that's kind of a line of defense, but encrypting it is absolutely, as you said, the, the right way to do it. <laughs> I just want to clarify yeah. in that it's, uh, you know, it's not a one-to-one thing. It, it, uh, it, it, most people probably wouldn't know what to do if they had the drive that was used in a transporter. But just to be safe, yes, absolutely use a... Uh, sparse image and encrypted yeah i guess you can't the mac won't mount ext4 by default right right and and there are even ways to do that so so i just wanted to add that because i remember i was and i think i even did that i think i even pulled the drive out of my transporter when i first got it and i said yeah let me uh you know i used one of those drive adapters and i plugged into my mac and initially it said i don't understand this what do you want me to do and i think i eventually found a tool uh, that would let me look at these ext3 and ext4 file systems yeah um and yeah then i could see the data but without that tool uh most people would have probably given up saying well, well the drive is you know it's probably damaged or something sure so so i think fuse for os 10 is what you would use yes. to read the ext file system so we'll put that in the show notes too just to you know just to have it there because that's kind of fun um if you want to try and, it, it. and if yeah. right and if anything actually this you know could be you know in an emergency situation where say you're you have a transporter drive and the transporter blows up how would you get the data off that's uh, this is how <laughs> that would be one way to do it yeah right um, because then it would be uh, yeah so you know hats off to those guys because yeah that they're using you know this file system and you know they're obviously not running mac os 10 inside of this thing um, right, right. That's the way they do it. And yeah, some embedded Linux, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Cool. All right. Where are we on time here? Do, what do we have time to do? You know what? We can do. Uh, we're, let's jump down to Jeremy because I think these two will go in exactly the right pacing for us to get uh, to get the show right where it needs to be. So, uh, Jeremy writes, and he says. I'm finally back in the Apple fold. I want only audio podcasts on my iPhone and only video podcasts on my iPad with my MacBook pro having all of my podcasts, but they seem to be syncing across all my devices, despite using iTunes to specifically sync certain ones. And before I had even connected my iPad to my Mac, before I got my iPhone Monday, I was using an app called podcast addict on my Android device for audio. I had video on my iPad through the podcast app and I had nothing on my windows machine. Uh, and he says, uh, it seems like it was easier to keep separate libraries than it was to get iTunes to work the way it's supposed to do. 
So, yeah, you're you're right. So iTunes and this is an important thing to remember just in a general sense, folks, is that iTunes syncs your podcast based on the account into which you are logged in for the iTunes store. It's not syncing over iCloud. It's syncing based on your the account that you log into iTunes with. And that I, that's the way it works. I was going to say it has to work that way because the iTunes app on your Mac is only logged into the store. And so that's the only place it can it can do that. But really, they could be smarter and just store it in an iCloud store and all that. But anyway, yes, it does sync everything everywhere. Now, there's a couple things you can do. If you want, you can go in to iTunes uh, on your iPhone or more specifically go into the settings for iTunes, which is in the settings app. So main screen on your iPhone, home screen, go to the settings app and then uh, scroll down and pop into podcasts inside the settings app. And you will see that uh, the fourth thing down or so is uh, under podcast settings is sync podcasts. And you can turn that off. That will now uh, keep your iPhone from syncing with whatever podcast your Mac is now syncing to the cloud. And, and, and that might do it for you, right? So that, that's, that might be all it takes. Or you might decide that while Apple's podcast app is nice and free, it also kind of stinks a little bit. Uh, and and it, while having that syncing is nice, I've found that I'm more frustrated by it than anything else. I also find that sometimes when I get into my car, and I'm not sure if this is my car's fault or my iPhone's fault. If I've been listening to podcasts in Apple's app, it starts playing them without me actually hearing them in the car. So I'll be, you know, I'll lose 10 minutes of a podcast before I realize, Hey, wait a minute. It, my phone thinks it's playing, but I don't hear it on the car. And then I get a pause and play and pause and play until it finally all syncs up. So I use a couple of different third party apps. Um, my favorites uh, in order are Castro and then down to downcast. Those are, those are kind of my, my, my two go-tos though. Um, Overcast, which is relatively new is uh, it has a function called voice boost, which I kind of like uh, Marco Arment, the, the author of overcast wrote an engine to highlight um, the right frequencies to bring out voices. And he, I think he does some dynamic compression on it and, and that sort of thing. And us being audio geeks, we do all of that stuff on this show for you, but not every podcaster thinks of their listeners in the same way that we do. And so it's nice sometimes to have an app that does. Um, but like I said, I really like Castro's interface. It's, it's, um, it, it's simple and, and good stuff. And, and I like downcast too. I honestly, I, I sort of bounce between the two of them. And so that's, uh, it, you know, the, the, regardless of which third party client you choose, though, and we'll put links to all three of these out there uh, because it really is a personal preference thing based on UI and, and all of that. Uh, they're all going to manage your podcasts separate from your Mac's iTunes library. So that is that that will solve your problem. And, and you know, you can get the uh, the you get the the version of this and you put it on both your iOS devices, but manage a separate group on each of them. Uh, and you should be good to go. So that's uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it on this one, John. You, do, you, you I'm glad you do. Yeah, yeah. Do you have anything to, to add to this one? I know you don't do a no, whole my, lot. No, my yeah. No, my needs are uh, uh, for the uh, for the few podcasts that I do listen to. The functionality within iTunes and on the iOS devices, uh, I'm I, I, I'm willing to tolerate. Right. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with it unless there's something wrong with it for you. And then you need to seek out something else. But there's, you know, there's a healthy market for third party 
what I'll call universal podcast app. Sure. Obviously, we have our own sure. Mac Geek Gab app. That's a very specific podcast app and works great for one show, right? It's very much tailored to what we do here. But there's a healthy, healthy market for third-party podcast apps for universal ones. And, uh, and you know, that, that wouldn't be the case if Apple's solution was, um, you know, good. So... <laughs> Good, uh, gooder, 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 more good. Yeah. Uh, David asks a related question. He says, okay, so I want to move to a third party podcast app. Is there any way to export my podcast subscriptions from iTunes 12, preferably to an OPML file to import into another podcatcher? And there is, it's not obvious at all. Uh, but I, I tried it and it works. So you go into iTunes 12, you go into your podcast section. And then once you're in the podcast section, go to file library export playlist. Make sure you choose export playlist and not export library export playlist. Even though you're on the podcast section, you haven't actually chosen a playlist. You don't want to choose a playlist. You want to be just at the top of your podcast section with all of your podcasts showing you choose file library export playlist. And then the drop down menu for format will not be set to OPML by default, but it is an option there. So you change that to OPML, save the file wherever you want, and then you can import that into your favorite podcatcher or however you want to do it. And it works great. Um, it's, you know, it, that the beauty of OPML is, is that it's standard and iTunes saves it out just fine. It's just not obvious at all that that's, this is even possible, let alone how to get there. So combine the answers to two of those and you can take all the stuff that you have in iTunes, export it out, and then just, you know, erase the ones you don't want on either device. And that way you don't have to resubscribe and search out all the feeds. Cause sometimes that can get to be a bear um, when you're, you know, when you're migrating there. So that's, that's my story, John, I'm sticking to it yet again. I want to add to the story. So Please. some of you would be asking yourself, what is OPML? And I'm going to tell you, Dave, OPML is outline processor markup language. All right. Now, some of you that know a bit about how the web works may say, Wow, you know, there's this thing called HTML that I've heard of, heard of, yeah, which is hypertext markup language. And OPML is a specific way, as as the name implies, of taking an outline, which if you arrange your podcast subscriptions in a certain way, could certainly be considered an outline. Yep. So, I I just thought that was interesting. Is that there's a, there's overlap between this? So you got OPML, you got HTML, you got XML. They're all MLs of different flavors because they do different things. But uh, no, I thought it was neat to look that up because I'm like, huh, I've heard of this, but what exactly is it? And apparently the podcast standards group, whoever they are, have decided that this is a nice way to, to let you exchange your podcast. And I, w I would imagine as the name implies other sorts of information that have a, nice, neat standard format. Yeah. I don't think it was the podcasters specifically that did it. I think OPML no. is how we used to pass around our groups of RSS feeds between apps. Uh. Right. And, and then, and it obviously, I mean, that's all podcasts oh, okay. are is a group of RSS subscriptions. So that that's where that came from. But I, yeah, I don't think it was uh, something specific to podcasting. It's just specific to RSS, which is what podcasts are totally based on. So, because RSS is a, another, one could say, subscription service, right? Right. It's a, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Really? In addition to podcasts. Okay. Yep. 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 So it's all the guts, 
that it takes to make uh, all of this work, but that's okay because, you know, we like it when it works and it actually works quite well, despite, uh, despite it being, you know, all hacked together by, uh, by a bunch of crazy people. But that's good. That's how our world is. Yeah. The big problem, Dave, is, uh, is the inner tubes. Yeah, you've been having problems. Like with I told you today, man. Well, I told you today. I was I was watching the, the you know the broadcast when it went swimmingly uh, on my Apple TV, and then all of a sudden I got blown out to my Apple TV main menu. Like, huh? But you think that was a problem I, at your house, right? Or no? Uh, 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 it's hard for me to say because none of my other internet services seem to suffer any sort of huh. problem. Yeah, yeah. So it could have been, because, yeah, I mean, you know, as we know, I mean, the Internet is, uh, you know, uh, TCP IP and all that, you know, does its best to try things again and all that. Yeah, it could have been it could have been just me because, yeah, I didn't see anybody else shaking their fist saying, oh, my gosh, the Apple event feed just went down like it did, you know, last year. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, no, this was kind of flawless. Uh, I think one other person I saw in my feed, one other person in my feed said, yeah, it, it got interrupted and I had to, you know, restart it. Huh. To watch it. So, huh. um, anyways, yeah. Sometimes the internet's uh, they have a little hiccup there, Dave. But when yeah. they don't, Dave, and you want to get in touch with us, um, you may have to try more than once. Though you shouldn't have to. And what you so. want to do is, if you want to get in touch with us, Dave, you should send an email to feedback at macgeekab.com. That's feedback at macgeekab.com. In case you uh, you missed it the first time. And if you missed it the second time, the third time is as good as the first, which is feedback at com. <laughs> you can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which, Sean, is? 4335. And you can find us. Come find us on Facebook. It's uh, the, the group there has been doing great. Just go to uh, the easiest way to get there is MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook. That will redirect you right there. Or you can just search for MacGeekGab in Facebook and you'll find our group. It's an open group, but you do have to ask to join. We'll happily approve you right away. And you can join oh, yeah. us and ask questions and all of that good stuff. So find us there. Facebook is uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I want to thank I some rumblings. I'm sorry. Did I hear some rumblings about things happening in the G plus world, Dave? Uh, I don't think what's going on with G plus. Oh, I, I I thought uh, a couple of my colleagues were saying that they're uh, they're kind of breaking up the band. Oh, is Google Plus going away? Uh, or are they're they're going to be changing the nature of it. So, uh, uh, all right. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to totally abandon it. No, I, I, I thought I thought I saw something in, in one of my one or more of my news feeds saying uh, G, they're, they're going to yeah separate G Plus into like two separate things. So huh. that may make things challenging for us. Though it's still a yeah community that uh yeah yeah we, we support so yeah come check us out on facebook we'll, we'll leave it at that for this one we'll find out what's going on with google plus i think I, i'm sure our g plus community still works just fine but uh at the moment anyway i want to thank michael johnston uh he hosts the ios show podcast and he also uh publishes getappler.com he converts this show to aac and adds all the links and images and chapters and all that stuff for us and for you so thank you for doing that michael you rock also cashfly hosting at c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com provides all the bandwidth for us to get the show uh to you from us at the very least and uh, in our podcast marketplace, of course, we mentioned iMazing from DigiDNA. They are fantastic, so check them out. Uh, we have Squarespace, of course. 
Uh, so check them out, squarespace.com slash mgg. Gazelle.com, of course. Barebones.com, Barebones Software. Smile at smilesoftware.com. Drobo, uh, the folks that make connected data. Check them out at drobo.com. Uh, MGG50, I believe, still a coupon code that works there for you. And Linda, lynda.com slash mgg to learn all kinds of new stuff. And we'll tell you more about that in the next show. All through Backbeat Media. John, you have any uh, any final advice here as people walk away considering not only the answers to all these questions, but whether or not they should get a new MacBook or an Apple Watch or even sign up for HBO? The advice I can always give, Dave, that despite all those things, is um, you should always, um, in the back of your mind, remember that you shouldn't get caught. Made up.